All right, everyone out there who's stock rich and cash poor, what if you could generate liquidity from your private company shares without giving away the upside? Well, Shares Post is now offering loans against private company shares and loans to exercise stock options. Shares Post Lending, the new liquidity solution. Visit sharespost.com. My name is Alex, and we are going to do a live taping of Equity, which is a TechCrunch podcast that is venture capital themed and has a very strong SaaS element to it. So Jason asked us to come down and do an episode. I'm Alex. That's Matthew Lindley. This is Ann Lont, and this is uh, Katie Roof. So let's do it. And we apologize in advance for Alex, by the way. That's completely valid. <laughs> um, so before we were playing the show, we talked a lot about what we should do on kind of a SaaS theme, and then yesterday the entire public market fell apart all at once, giving us a pretty amazing end for this. One thing that I noticed that happened quite a lot was that SaaS stocks took quite a beating uh, during the market route. So I'm kind of curious if we were surprised at how SaaS performed in the public sphere, even though uh, there was a market sell-off in aggregate. And Lily, why don't you take us off? I mean, I feel like there was that moment in time where, you know, when you look at a SaaS multiple, you're looking at like, you know, four, three, to, three to six, four to seven X, right? Sure. Um, and then it just like went ballistic it back in like 2014, 2015, and then it kind of crawled back, right? And now we're, I, I, I'm wondering to see if like we're actually gonna see that settle down finally back to reality, or whether or not that we've got these, I mean, we have a bunch of companies that, you know, you saw uh, Yext in 2017 uh, fell under its IPO price, and I, I, don't, I don't know, I mean, what, like, what do you guys think is going on here? wouldn't place too much weight in just a few days activity. I think um, when there's a sell-off, investors get spooked and everyone, every stock, it hurts. Um, so we'll have to see how things shake out in the next few days. I mean, today, the stock market has been doing better. We're recording well, this I mean, it's a little down. early this week. It's Tuesday. But it's not a SaaS crash. I mean, back in February 2016, we had yeah. the infamous Notorious. Everyone got scared. The IPO window collapsed. and Everyone thought the SaaS had essentially been reset five years. The multiples went down, but I mean, like the, the, the declines we've seen have been at least so far painful, but not deathly. I know, when you look at this as an investor, what do you see and does it impact how you think about putting more money into SaaS companies? Yeah. Or uh, SaaS-ish companies, yeah, if you yeah. will. <laughs> not at all. I mean, if you actually looked at the public market every day, you, you know, you would, you'd be paralyzed, right? So um, it's irrelevant. I mean, we just keep looking at, you know, does the company fit the need? Um, yeah, great management, great opportunity, keep going. I think valuations have, have corrected across the board. And you um, invest on a 10-year horizon, so you shouldn't yeah. be looking at everyday market no, swings because it's not. really irrelevant to how things are going to be trading in 2028. <laughs> okay, but certainly, though, when the yeah. NASDAQ gives back all of its 2018 gains in a yeah. single day, that has yeah. to make everyone feel a little bit scared. I mean, that is a dramatic repricing yeah, of all the stats. Yeah, but when a market goes up 5% in one month after going up 30% in the last, you know, that, that doesn't make me scared. That makes me feel like there's some rationality in the marketplace, right? Well, so I mean, so if you look... Yeah, you eventually look, things have to come down. I yeah. mean, when you look back at 2017, though, you know, Snap uh, kind of opened the IPO window. We had a couple consumer IPOs. There was some shakiness with Snap and Blue Apron. Obviously, those didn't go very well. But it was the enterprise companies that were kind of stable, right? And they were, they seemed like they were the ones that were yanking the market along and maybe even holding the IPO window open a little bit, right? That being said, I'm wondering if this is actually going to start closing it a little bit. I mean, we're all kind of waiting for Dropbox, right? But we'll, and so we'll see how that plays out. But I'm wondering if this is actually going to sort of alter the calculus 
for some companies that might be looking at it, especially enterprise and SaaS companies for 2018? Well, I mean, how many companies right now do you think in the SaaS space are actually big enough and healthy enough to go public? I mean, my, my thought process has been, everyone has said we're waiting for market timing, right? Well, if you can't <laughs> Last go, year was market timing. Yeah. That <laughs> was the time. That was the moment you're supposed to go. But I mean, thinking back to 2017 SaaS crop, I mean, MuleSoft, Alteryx, right. you know, Yex down the line, all pretty healthy. The consumer side was a bit of a mess with Blue Apron and Snap kind of falling apart. So I, I don't think this should be wildly awful, but it certainly changes the tone of the discussion around this because for once it didn't just go up again. And you know, that scares me at least. My 401k got punched. Yeah, so. I was going to say, don't check your betterment. <laughs> don't, don't do that. Yeah. But, but last time things came yeah. back. I mean, the SAS crash of 2016 lasted for approximately two months. Everyone freaked out, said to raise a round if you were, you know, series C or below. People did or didn't, and then nothing else happened. So I'm, I'm just a bit worried we could end up not learning anything again and end up here again maybe next year. Well, I mean, and when you look at what's happening with the public markets, right, I mean, obviously there was a really bad crash and everyone's like, oh, we're going to focus on long term, right? Um, but I feel like when I talk to founders, and you probably have a better sense of this than mm -hmm. I do, you know, uh, there's a lot of money flowing into late stage deals, you know, Series Huge. C, Series D. Uh, there's a ton of money flowing into pre-seed, seed. And your A and B is really freaking hard to raise. And I'm wondering if that's, this makes it even harder. As, like, as an investor, are, you know, does, that change, does that change the way you think about it either? No, again, I mean, I think all it changes is your perspective on valuation. Mm -hmm. And it does incrementally change that. But I think you know, you, it's like anything else. It's the top decile that everybody's focused on. And those companies will continue to have outrageous valuations in the private market. I mean, we've got, we have much more of an irrational exuberance in the private market than we do in the public market for valuing these companies. Um, and I think great companies will always have great multiples, and you know, the, everybody else is sort of struggling. To, so when you say outsized valuations, yeah. which companies are you talking about? Right. <laughs> <laughs> there's, there's a few. You can speculate. This weekend, <laughs> Uber. More importantly, when you talk about top decile uh, right. valuations, you're essentially yeah. talking about revenue multiples for companies, right? Yeah, so, exactly. so where do you think things should settle out roughly in H1 2018. Right. Like when you're thinking about these top qualities, top tier companies, yeah. how much are you willing to pay for revenue in that, in that stage yeah. range? Well, I mean, for public companies, if you look at, you know, historically, you know, like four and a half is kind of five is the sort of standard SaaS multiple. So, sure. you know, in that range. For but next year's revenue, It all right? depends on growth rate, right? I mean, the reality right, so is the TAM, TAM growth rate, you know, those, those yeah. I mean, you're still seeing 10x, you know, kind of 20x multiples in the private market for the really great <laughs> well, if the sell-off continues, it right. will impact comparables. Right. I think that was what you were getting at, is the, is the private market valuations, if there's a company that's similar in the public market, it's going to, um, it, it looks bad when, when actually the competitor does worse. People right. think that you would want your competitor to do worse, but actually you want them to do better because your valuation yeah, I mean, exactly. is relative we're, to their yeah, valuation. Yeah, you love comp high comparables. And so yeah. that's, so, but that's really only if the sell-off continues, which we don't really know yet. But it is a reminder that all those companies companies that are unicorns or have those really high valuations should have gone public in the last two years when the stock market was doing really well. Um, well I mean, you we, can say that, but I think the reality is a going public is not a liquidity event for most people, right? And maybe some employees can get out, some investors can get out, but the reality is, is you really actually want to go public in markets that aren't as strong because you want to be building your value over time. You want stock price to go up. You don't really want to go public and have a stock market be, you know, with the price be 50% less two years later. In theory, right. but if you have yeah. a choppy first few days, that doesn't yeah. set the best impression for your new right. new investors. So well, yeah. maybe you want stable, but well, low, stable. What you want is growth. you don't want volatility. You want a lower market, effectively. Yeah. Right? That's, that's fair. Yeah. 
But still, there are a lot of companies that have really high valuations, uh, but aren't going public. We've been saying this for several years now. Like, it's this is finally going to be the year, the year that we're going to see more IPOs. <laughs> and then we're like, oh, just kidding, next year, and then next year, and next year. Right, right. So, I mean, is 2018 going to be the year? I, I, I'm terrified to answer that question because Box just right. gave up all its gains for this year as well. So if you're the Dropbox right. team right. and you were filing right. in what, December or whatever it yeah. was, and you're looking at the SaaS market, you feel yeah. really, really good. You wait, what, three peats? And then right. all of a sudden you've given all that back. Right. So, I mean, they were working towards getting back to whole in their 10 billion number from 2014. And now they just got set back probably six months of growth in that. So to your point, maybe not again, yeah. but if not this year, God, when? I mean, I feel like there's, there's still an opportunity. I mean, Obviously, there was like there's a market correction and like stocks are going nuts and things like that, right? But some companies still do exist in kind of an alternate universe, like Netflix, where they can increase their free cash flow like to like an even higher negative number, and yet that stock is going to keep going up over time, right? So, I mean, even I feel like even if you're a SaaS company, if you look like Dropbox, there maybe there's even an alter, like an opportunity where you you go public in this like parallel universe where you get this like crazy valuation that you had three years ago because oh like we're an enterprise company we're also a consumer company and then like that changes the game entirely yeah. right but i mean to your to your point though right when when SaaS companies tend to go public there's a almost a uniformity right it's like you raise your round and then you raise your round and you raise your round and your revenue revenue goes up over time methodically you go public the stock maybe does fine maybe does really well right um my question is, is that going to continue in 2018, though? Right? I mean, because we keep talking about Dropbox, but Dropbox is like, it, it's not clear if that's going to be a SaaS company or if that's going to exist in that like Earth 2 parallel universe, right? <laughs> well, well I, yeah. I just think that if we have a 30% reduction in, in forward revenue multiples on a right. for SaaS companies, people have bought way too much unprofitable revenue that they're not going to be able to get the valuation for, but they spent the cash already to get. And that could be really kind of wonky for companies that are just having uh, too high of a cash burn compared to where they want to price in the market. Uh, Tentry, I think, was a good example of this last year. Also, Cloudera. I mean, these are companies that had pretty decent top-line growth, but their cash burn was so high, they ended up being quite unattractive to public market investors. Cloudera gave up a huge chunk of its valuation, and Tentry has just really meandered and struggled. Um, and if we end up with a whole bunch of kind of sick companies like that because they were expecting a much richer valuation, well, then I'm going to feel... Well, not sorry for them, but I'll certainly feel a bit for them. I mean, you remember Atlassian, though, right? Vividly. Like when Atlassian went public in was 2014, 2015. The 2015. 2015. The numbers came out, and everyone's like, "Oh my gosh! Like they actually look good. <laughs> let's let's throw money at these guys, right?" And now they're worth like 10 billion, right? Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. I mean, yeah. MuleSoft also looked hella healthy, and they stickered over all of Caltrain Station with ads for their company, and then they went public, <laughs> and it went super well. It, it turns out the old formulas still work. Like that's not a change. So, yeah. anyways, Katie, you were saying. So, so one thing that we might see more of this year, though, is is buy Backs or actually maybe acquisitions because of something called repatriation, which is basically a tax policy that's designed to bring cash back to the U.S. Uh, and Apple has has said that they're going to uh, be doing that, but uh, and that that's going to help with job creation. But the other tech giants like Amazon, Alphabet, Microsoft actually recently revealed in earnings where they either hinted or outright said that it wasn't going to make a big difference uh, on their policies at all. So essentially, if you you were hoping that these companies were going to bring back all this foreign cash and then buy your SaaS company, it sucks. 
It's not yeah. going to happen. <laughs> Basically. I, I'm, I'm not that surprised by that because they were, ability, they were able to borrow money domestically so inexpensively before this. Why actually wait if you wanted to make a deal before? I mean, uh, the aggregate tech companies in the S&P 500 picked up, I think it's $531 billion in debt in the last five years, which is the highest pace in any industry in the S&P 500. So they were free with debt and they still weren't doing as much acquisitions or as many, I guess, as we expected. And also, if you want to buy a company, you're going to buy a company regardless of, uh, of taxes. I was actually at a dinner recently with a board member of a major public tech company who said that it's not going to make a difference. Uh, they, they're going to still do acquisitions, but whether or not they're going to whether or not they're going to buy a company has nothing to do with taxes. And that's that's true for a lot of other investments. And, and that's what I'm hearing from some other tech companies as well. I mean, it's super easy to raise debt, right? If you're one of these if you're one of these huge guys, like I'm sure Apple can basically say, oh, we're going to. Well, I mean, I guess like the net, buying Netflix room or not rumor narrative has been kind of killed since it hit 100 billion dollars, yeah, right? But, <laughs> um, but you know, okay, we're going to spend 30 something, 40 something billion dollars in acquisition. Yeah, we repatriated all this cash, but I'm pretty sure we could really easily raise debt to to buy that company, right? And it's just been so. I feel like it's been so easy for so long. I don't know if this is even going to move the needle at all. But it could it could raise valuations with with M and A. That's what some are saying. Like maybe they'll be more comfortable paying a little bit more. Uh, so that's something we could see. And then and there are some companies that, that have said, maybe not the other top tech companies, but there are other companies that have said that it will make a difference for them. So it's not a it's not a one-size-fits-all approach here. But, uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it's definitely a big deal because there's $500 billion between the top five tech companies that are overseas right now. So That must reach a, a trillion by the time you get to, like, the top 200. Right? I mean, that's a simply staggering amount of money. They're going to pay 15.5% on to bring home. Yes. It's not, it's not that high of a rate. I think Katie's right, is that if you're going to buy a company, you're going to, like, life finds a way, right? Apple will find some way to put together the stock or cash to buy, you know, Tesla or whatever they want, ever want to buy. <laughs> I don't I'm think sure any sitting... of the fangs are, they're not constrained by cash. Their own cash flow or the ability to, to uh, borrow. So like, that has certainly not been the reason they haven't made any strategic moves. In, in the so I'm, I'm sure you're, you're hoping for yeah. some strategic moves, though, right? right? As an investor. <laughs> I mean, is this going to change anything? Though? No, I think this changed absolutely nothing. Um, whether it's in healthcare, fintech, you know, the major tech players, I think it changes nothing. Um, Some places are giving yeah. their employees small bonuses, however. Yeah, but that doesn't really matter. The tech, <laughs> no. the tech world has done essentially nothing like that. I mean, that's like Walmart and Target and other kinds of Verizon. One thing that I noticed today, though, that kind of caught my eye while we were prepping for this is that Microsoft is actually aggressively going against um, uh, Box and Dropbox right now, two companies that I use kind of as SaaS benchmarks. And they're actually offering free OneDrive for Business service for up to a three-year period if you'll get off one of those other platforms. So instead of kind of seeing more M&A hints, we're actually seeing Contra, smaller SaaS company moves from the tech giants. And so I wonder if in the end, instead of seeing more acquisitions, they're going to repatriate all this money, buy back shares, maybe raise their dividend, build an even bigger moat around themselves, and use that leverage to just stomp harder on smaller SaaS companies instead of going out there and bringing them into their own fold. So it could actually be a negative thing for smaller SaaS companies instead of a positive thing that everyone was hoping for in terms of deals. I don't, I don't know about stomping those small SaaS companies, right? I mean, like, if you're, you know, Microsoft has been kind of, like, beating the tables, like, Azure. Like, Azure is growing like crazy, and Google's like, Google Cloud is doing yeah. really well, and Amazon, well, Amazon's already a huge business, right? So that's already over there, right? Um, but 
if I'm a, if like I'm a SaaS company, like why on earth would I go up against Amazon anyway? That's like that seems like if I, you know, that seems like something that is just uh, you're set. I mean, unless you have some radically crazy model that you're sort of setting yourself up for failure. And to your point, Microsoft can invest all this money and build this mode and like make it so sort of like protected, so we can invest in things like Azure and invest in things like that to get that early developer lock-in, right? And to get and to continue like acquiring those er like acquiring those early companies as customers. And then maybe those eventually over time, like, you know, it's like, uh, you know, first you date, then you marry, right? And they start to, like, potentially see these, like, smaller guys so they can pick them up as acquisitions, like, one at, one at a time, right? So I, I don't think that the, that money doesn't go towards, like, stomping smaller SaaS companies. I mean, I think that, like, Microsoft is sort of there as, like, a way to seed the market a little bit, right? Well, I mean, to an extent, it must, because uh, Stuart was just on stage, right? And Alex Conrad asked him about the potential Slack IPO. And we'll get to that in just in a second about the CFO thing. But Slack wants to be a platform. You can kind of develop on Slack and build stuff for it. And you know, it's all over product hunt and whatnot. But you know, Microsoft is using its platform power, be like the O365 business, to push Microsoft Teams to go directly contra to Slack. So the platform players are probably going to use this new cache as leverage to go even faster. So I, I'm just. None of this money is going to go back to workers, probably, and they're going to have just more firepower to do even more of what they wanted more quickly. Well, Slack also got in earlier, though, right? Fair like, sl like Slack, Slack was able to get some lock-in. I feel like before Microsoft was able to actually start throwing a ton of resources and a ton of power behind that and start acquiring those early those early customers, right? I mean, sure, like you know, if you if you talk to any of your companies, like they probably all use Slack, right? As like the smaller ones, yeah. right? Right. So yeah, uh, and they're not using Yammer, yeah, right? I mean, yeah, that's that's been not. kaput for like the last right. forty-eight years, I feel. <laughs> So yeah. yeah, but I mean, get, yeah. I mean, getting back to the the you know this this idea that all this cash is coming in, right? I mean, I feel like there's still that focus on near-term gains, right? So if you're looking at, I mean, again, like Netflix over here, where they can just burn all the money they want in the universe and still see their stock grow up, right? Um, a company like Apple still has to, you know, their valuation still has to be proportional to the amount of money that the amount of revenue that they're generating, what products that they have, things like that, right? Or you can start increasing buybacks or dividends, right? And that's that's just like that's right. what you can do, right? I mean, it's like if you have Carl Icahn coming after you, being like, ah, oh, like where's our money? Apple suddenly says, oh yeah, well we have a ton now, so pff, here, take it, take it, please. That's so boring, though. <laughs> they, they get all this repatriated money, and all they do is increase their dividends. I will file a complaint somewhere on Twitter and tell them that they're quite boring. Um, can we talk about Bitcoin for a second here? Because uh, Bitcoin's had an interesting we week. Can. Uh, it's gone down quite a bit, actually. Two months ago today, I tweeted what's more likely to crash in 2018, Bitcoin or the stock market? So you can say I have a crystal ball, <laughs> or you can just say this was inevitable because things can't go up forever. But uh, yeah, Bitcoin was like at 20,000, I think, at the time, and now it's like seven, closer to 7,000. Seven, 7, 7,300 7, so. backstage. I don't know what yeah, time it seems to be now. changing by the minute. By the time you're listening to this Friday, it's going to be something totally different. But uh, yeah, I mean, so, so crypto uh, had a pretty great run but yeah right now it's it's tumbling a little bit do you think this is forever or do you think do you think it's going to uh, surge again soon i'm really enjoying uh, watching everyone else suffer right now about this because we've been talking about the kind of bitcoin being in a bubble for the last 3 years i want to say i started covering bitcoin back in 2013 um, and the kind of the broader crypto space and it shot up like a rocket and everyone thought they were a genius and then that turned around, and now they don't look like geniuses anymore. Yeah. I feel well, a little bit vindicated in saying that there's no material value to this asset in the short term. If you're a genius when your investments are doing well, then you're an yeah. idiot when your investments are not doing well. That's, I just want to put that out That's there. the Trump example, but you were saying something. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think we've had about 5 70% to 90% corrections in Bitcoin in the last, you know, four, four years. Um, I, 
the, you know, the reality is it, there, it's, it, is an, is it, is, it is an asset class. I don't think it's going away. We obviously need regulation, and it's coming, and that's part of the issue. Um, but, you know, if you think about it, in September, the Chinese basically could, you know, cut off any uh, indexes uh, and exchanges that, they, that weren't sort of Chinese uh, sanctioned in September. Post-September, Bitcoin went up 600%. Right. You know, cryptocurrency went up 600%. So you can't say that fear of regulation was the thing that's actually, you know, affected the price in the last, uh, you know, week. Um, but, you know, I, th I think, uh, you know, theories around Tether, I mean, in my mind, I mean, I think Tether drove a lot of the rise, and I think it drove a lot of the fall. Um, and I think this view that we've got, you know, this, that it's a more stable approach to tethering, you know, U.S. dollars or one dollar uh, to, to tether and then, you know, having that be the, the uh, coinage to uh, connecting to other Bitcoin, yeah, sure. uh, you know, that that's going to actually create a more stable environment. I think it completely destabilizes things because we don't know whether tether is actually a legitimate coin. Yeah. And that's just one of the various things that people have talked about as a potential issue. I mean, not just China, it's South Korean right. regulation, it's Russian right. regulation. Um, I think this morning, uh, the SEC was testifying before the Senate, and they said that every ICO they've seen has been a security sale that has been unregistered. Yeah. So at least that funding mechanism is going to go away for all startups in the tech space, because you can't do that inside the U.S. effectively. You can't crowd sale to only a certain investor group. I don't know. I, I feel this is just a long time coming. I mean, very similar to the public markets. I mean, things get a bit too high. Everyone presumes they'll go on forever. And they always act very, very shocked when they don't because right. it turns out the only real unstoppable force in the universe that I know right. of is greed. And it just right. never goes away. And it never changes. And it happens again and again and again. I mean, the 2008 bubble was literally 48 minutes ago. And we're doing this again. Yeah, I don't think Bitcoin's dead, by the way. I think that um, I, I think that it's taking a pretty big hit right now, but I, I'm not sure that it's going to go back to 20,000 anytime soon, but I, I don't think it's about to go to zero either. Uh, I mean, <laughs> don't, don't, don't make I any mean, decisions based on what I just said. But um, I mean, there definitely seems to be a huge, huge market for crypto investors. People are pretty excited about not just Bitcoin, but Ethereum. There's a whole lot of other ones. People are excited about I ICOs. It, did, it has reached, I would say, a critical mass where it, it's going to be around for a while. Yeah. But I do. Well, I would say, you know, in ICOs, I mean, people are already being burned, right? I mean, you had the largest one, the $250 million raise, you know, Swiss company, and they're already in a battle between the board, the investors, the assets are frozen. I mean, this is, you know, this is not ending well already. Um, and, I, you know, my, I guess my view is that um, I do think that regulation needs to come very quickly uh, on that front. Um, because if you look, I think think about Theranos. I mean, just a you know, simple example. I mean, this can happen anywhere. It doesn't happen to be a, you know, a, uh, an ICO. Um, but where you, where you don't have legitimate venture capitalists who vetted science, who sit on the board monitoring it. I mean, you had high-profile people on the Theranos board. Henry um, Kissinger. Yeah, Henry Kissinger. I mean, right, of all things. You know, he was Let's get a war criminal. That's fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, the reality is, I think if you actually have you know, legit VCs, a legit board, you know, vetting something and some regulation around an ICO, you, you, I think you actually, it, it can be an interesting mechanism for funding companies. I mean, but without that, it's, you know, incredibly risky. I mean, do you, like, as an investor, do you want to get into an ICO or do you want to just, like, let that story play out? Because Fred Wilson's very active yeah. in these. Yeah. I mean, like Telegram, for yeah. example, right? Yeah. Like, there's a lot of like. Yeah, a lot of VCs are getting into Telegram. That's right. So, right. yeah, would you participate in an IPO, an ICO yourself? Depend. I mean, it depends again. Management, governance, 
So yeah, with all of those rules, maybe. With all the rules, maybe. Okay. Exactly. Well, the numbers yeah. are as follows. Uh, I pulled the coin market cap all-time crypto high from January, yeah. I think, 7th. It's about $830 billion, and now it's $330 billion. So that's a half trillion dollars in about three weeks, which I think we should spend a little more time thinking about how terrifying that is, because that's a it's staggering terrifying. sum of money. Um, but we only have a couple of minutes, and we yeah. wanted to riff gently on the man who was just on stage before us. So what's going on with Slack? So Slack has a new CFO. Um, We've which, heard. What, I wonder what that means when a company has a CFO. <laughs> that usually means they're about to IPO, by the way. Not not like tomorrow, but it means that they're thinking about it because that's one of the that's the the, the sign that we watch as IPO reporters. Is an IPO ready CFO means they're getting ready because why else would you need strict oversight on your financials? Yeah, uh, and this guy was oversight. promoted, but he has Wall Street experience. Uh, I I think Slack. I mean, with the valuation, what is it like six billion? Last I checked, they obviously have to do some sort of exit at some point to please their investors and employees and um, the more expensive you get the harder an acquisition is so I, I'd say that an IPO seems likely or it seems like a likely goal probably not this year maybe maybe next year late next year is my best guess well Slack raised a 250 million dollar series G uh, in last September, so they're under no rush. But it's also the SoftBank Vision Fund. Yeah, so which they, they just like money. Well, but, yeah, but it was <laughs> Series G. They have, in, they have infinite cash. But at the same time, Stewart had said they're not going to go public in this year. So it's going to be an early 19 IPO at the soonest. But I'm kind of curious why they're signaling so hard this early that they would. You can hire this person, you promote this person six months later if you want to have them do the same job. But they're probably trying to show off. Um, I don't know. I'm excited about it. Maybe they're just trying to have good governance while they're private, too, and they're growing so quick. Well, Katie said the only reason you do this is so you can go public. (laughs) It's not the only reason, but I mean, it's usually a pretty big sign that you are preparing to go public. But actually, you want that person ideally to be in the role for at least a year before going public. So I don't don't think it normally would imply. Yeah, normally it wouldn't apply that they're going this year, maybe 18 months out, I would, I would think. Okay, I mean, so then to wrap up, then, what is our just guess for fun, Lindley? How much are they worth at IPO? Slack? You, yeah, Slack. Well, so wait, they have 2 million paying customers? Yeah. If we assumed it was 4 to 7x? Yeah, sure. 10, 11, maybe? You're 10, I'll say 12. What's your guess? I'll top you. 14. 14. All right. That's a hell of a mix then. 40% <laughs> gap up from Lindley. All right. Katie? I don't know. Maybe 7 billion? <laughs> Wait, so we have 10, 10 billion. So how many people I like Slack, but I don't love it. No one, no one booed me here at this, this SaaS crowd. But. but I mean, I think there is something to, being, something to be said about you know, saying, OK, we have a CFO. He has experience for, from Sanford and Birdstein, uh, Citigroup. Um, he's now set, maybe potentially setting us up for our IPO. Um, hi. We're a real company. Come use Slack, please. Right. I mean, that, that's the idea. You can sell a lot more to an enterprise-level company if they know you're going to be around forever because you're an independent thing that's going to succeed. But I mean, I feel like they crossed that threshold a long time ago. That's not really a new point for Slack. I mean, two million paying customers is a lot of paying customers. But like, just imagine the sheer volume of small businesses out there that probably, you know, they use Microsoft or Google Docs or something like that, and all these things. I mean, you have, you know, if I'm uh, the consultant firm with like 50 people, I probably have specs and product product development maps like in like 10 different drive, Google drives, right? That's like impossible to find. And maybe yeah. Slack is like, oh, well, we never even bothered looking at this. We, we didn't even see these guys on the radar because they're you know in Montana or something like that somewhere. They're an obvious case to come in and use us for communications. Also search, right? Be able to fi- actually find our stuff really easily, right? Find answers to questions, find the right people to talk to, things like that, right? So I mean, if it's basically, you know, I mean, aside from you know, barring buying a ton of Facebook ads or something like that to find these 
these guys, I imagine, you look at it and you say, oh, Slack, oh, wow, it's like a $12 billion company and it's going up against Microsoft. Yeah, let's check it out. Sure, why not? But are each of those customers worth thousands of dollars? I don't know. But thanks so much for listening to us. Uh, check us out on iTunes and all the podcast platforms. Cool. All right, everyone. We want to say a special thanks to our producer, TechCrunch's own Christopher Gates, our executive producer, Henry Pickovet. Thank you to Katie Roof. Thank you to Matthew Lindley. And thank you to you for leaving us that five-star iTunes review. That's Equity. We'll see you all next Friday.